Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, why one woman is raising money from a bed set up in a bank lobby in Hadley and why that's partially my fault. And Congressman McGovern answering some of your questions about student loan repayment and daylight savings time and more. We got a lot of questions last week. But... We welcome back to the show the quadruple-nominated, two-time Oscar-winning fashion designer originally from right here in Springfield, Massachusetts, Ruth E. Carter. Ms. Carter will be at an event at Tower Square in downtown Springfield tomorrow afternoon at 1, a free event hosted by Art for the Soul Gallery celebrating the launch of her book, The Art of Ruth E. Carter, which we happen to have right here in studio. And we're <laughs> not going to be too embarrassed to ask you to autograph it later. We are definitely not. <laughs> Costuming Black History and the Afro Future from Do the Right Thing to Black Panther. Thank you so much for coming into the studio during your time here in Western Mass. Well, anytime there's air conditioning, I'm a <laughs> coming in. It's so hot outside. Right. Yeah. So depending uh, on where you are in this new building for us, it's more or less air conditioned. Oh, so yeah. we'll keep you in all the air the more air conditioned okay, locations. Cool. Which definitely yeah. includes the studio. Uh, <laughs> when you came back to the area for these events, outside of visiting your family, where was the first place you went? When I came back in town? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The first place that I went is the track across the street from my mother's house at AIC, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to keep my my exercise program going. And um, I've always loved to walk around the track. I used to do that with my mom. And, you know, it's just something that it comes with being home, you know. I It's like a sabbatical. I get to be a little more healthy and, you know, it, I'm stimulated by that. Right on. One of the reasons you did come home was the unveiling of this incredible mural at the Rebecca Johnson School in Mason yeah. Square. Yeah. Is, did, did you go to that school? I didn't. It's a new school, uh-huh. so you know, I you know, I've been doing this a long time, a, a lot longer than probably you were born. But <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Okay, okay. So no, I was like a Homer Street School and Glickman kid. Uh-huh. So uh, Rebecca Johnson was one of the first African American principals in the city, and so we're both AKAs. So uh-huh. the mural is like super <laughs> meaningful for for her and also for me and the two of us together. So it's a great, great place. And all, it was a who's who uh, during the unveiling who was at that, the yeah, mural sure. there. But and it's like two stories or more high. Yeah, yeah. and there are three panels. <laughs> yeah. So yes. it's like I have three murals. Uh, it's gorgeous. And it's you. And then it, it's um, some of the fashions that you've created. And if you don't know Ruthie Carter's work, it goes, as the book t- says, all the way from Do the Right Thing mm-hmm. to Black Panther mm-hmm. and Wakanda Forever, the sequel to Black and Panther. That just talks about the films in like their actual like linear like when the films came out yeah we look start looking at like timeline of like when the costuming works we're going all the way back to like mid 18th century with Amistad yeah you know I've been a love uh, lover of history of uh, African-American history just history in general costume history uh, you know I learned some of that here in Springfield and it was called stage West at the time city stage now I did my internship there and you know I learned a lot you know I went to an HBC and I was doing it in college. So, you know, me getting onto a film like Malcolm X and finding myself in the middle of the desert on a Spike Lee joint was, you know, pretty exciting. But also I always had this mission, you know, that I wanted to really represent um, the past in a very authentic way. So I really love doing historical pieces. One of the coolest things I thought about 
uh, your process in the book was talking about the way that you talk about the texture of the fabrics mm-hmm. that you're working with mm-hmm. and some of the weight issues that you encountered, like some of just the fabric issues and um, and discoveries that you encountered. Is there a material that you really love to work with or that you find challenging and never want to see on a human again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, there are a lot of those kinds of challenges along the way that goes with the job, but I would say it would be Euro jersey. (laughs) Euro jersey is what the panther suit is made out of, and I chose a really, really thin version of Euro jersey on the first panther suit in the first film, and the Black Panther kept blowing his pants every time... (laughs) Every time you went to set, and I was like, this is a not a good look. So uh, we found someone who had worked at the Boston Ballet, and she came in, and we printed another uh, Euro jersey a little thicker, and we, we made our, our stunt suits out of it, and she did all the gussets that we needed for the mu- movement. So, you know, here we go, Boston Mass again. <laughs> it's not the Fabulous 413, but the Fabulous 617. Yeah, 617, <laughs> it's close. We'll take it, we're both from there. Yeah. <laughs> when we read the book and we hear about you working with Chadwick Boseman and mm-hmm. him trying to do the movements in these suits that you've created, it's hard mm-hmm. not to think of you as a superhero who's oh, creating these suits too. Thank you. Um, and trying to find the, the correct fabrics. But mm-hmm. you've also talked about the history that you uh, have incorporated Incorporated, and you incorporated actual African historical and uh, uh, the idea of pre-colonial African garments uh, mm-hmm. into the world of Wakanda. Mm-hmm. And there's a great story in the book where you talk about these traditional blankets mm-hmm. where they look fantastic mm-hmm. for the movie, but they can't move in them because they're too heavy. And then you have to come up as a designer with yeah. a, a Over solution. Over Christmas break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to tell that story because it, it was a challenge. And, you know, sometimes we, you know, we close the door and we are like looking at each other as a team and we're going, how are we going to do this? And, you know, the it, it doesn't matter what time of year it is. It was Christmas break, but we looked at that as a fortunate thing because it gave us more time to to handle the problem. And so we uh, took these big Lesotho blankets. So we got them all from South Africa, uh, maybe a hundred of them. And we had printed vibranium on one side and Marvel felt that the blankets were too thick, too heavy to like be floating in the air and during a battle. And so it was too late to reprint them. You know, we've, we, we tried that with uh, blanket companies companies can you can you produce a blanket and they were like sure give us six months <laughs> and we we're like oh we got two weeks over Christmas how about that and so we decided to just buy a men's shaver and we shaved those blankets it took about two hours each and so um 200 hours of blanket shaving. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a lot. <laughs> yes. I, but also I would throw out, like, it's vibranium. It floats. Like, it doesn't matter how heavy it is. Well, like, that's the whole yeah, point of I the know. metal. It's all fictitious, like, you this know. this is your canon. Don't you know this about yeah, this right. metal? Vibranium doesn't exist. <laughs> but yet you say so many times in the book, and even just now, you had yeah. printed vibranium. Yeah, so we talk, printed vibranium So how on does one, one do that with a, fa- with a yeah, fake element? Well, you know, it's all folklore. It's all, <laughs> it's all made up. When you started doing, and we're speaking with the two-time Oscar winner, Ruthie Carter from Springfield, the only black woman to win two Oscars, Mm. and that is 
at the same time a shame and also a wonderful honor. Yeah, um, thank you. 3D printing is not something that was going on when you were costuming mm-hmm. Do the Right Thing. So how has that changed the way that you do costuming yeah. as a, a film costume? Well, actually, 3D printing existed. You know, we made helmets and things like that uh, during those years, uh, but we weren't using it in costume design. Mm -hmm. So once the 3D uh, printers were able to use a material in their printing process that was flexible and wearable, then it became a useful tool for us. So we printed uh, Ramonda's shoulder mantle. Uh, We printed her uh, Ishikolo, which is the Mary woman's hat in South Africa. We printed her crown. And the reason we printed it was because this is Wakanda. It's a forward-thinking nation. They have the, they're leading in technology. And why wouldn't the queen have something that was the latest technology that was a perfect sphere for her crown? And uh, that's why we did it. Mm. We are speaking with Ruth E. Carter, who tomorrow will be at Tower Square, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, for a free event hosted by the wonderful Art for the Soul Gallery on Main Street, celebrating the launch of her book, The Art of, Art of Ruth E. Carter, Costuming Black History and the Afro Future, Do the Right Thing to Black Panther. We're going to take a quick break, but more with Ruth E. Carter coming up. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Cleese Smith. And I'm psyched. Yeah, why are you psyched, Cleese? Because in studio with us right now is four-time nominated, two-time winning Academy Award winner, Ruth E. Carter, Springfield's own. And she's got a new book out called The Art of Ruth E. Carter, Costuming Black History, the Afro Feature from Do the Right Thing to Black Panther. And now I get to actually talk to her about this wonderful book. I, like, took notes. Yeah, you can see. (laughs) There'll be a quiz. Oh, good. Okay. I think we'll pass it because I, I read it last right. night. Khalees read, it, read today. it today. Yeah. So one of the questions that I wanted to bring up, and this is lost on radio listeners because it's only auditory. Mm-hmm. There is a picture of you, Ruth E. Carter, not with the E as we know it now, but with Ruth with an E spell. Well, uh, that's how I used to spell my name, Ruthie. Oh. Right. That, you know, if you knew me growing up, I was Ruthie. And then the E was, you know, the E is for my middle name also, Elaine. So it works out perfectly. I to- just told everybody. <laughs> It's a school picture. Yeah. says Ruthie Carter, Springfield Mass, Speech and Drama. And yeah. it's a picture of you in what looks like Alice Cooper makeup. Yeah. Like a, like it's a Harlequin. The, it's the, har- it's yeah. the comedy and tragedy because, you know, I was a theater major. And the Harlequin, uh, wa- the comedy tragedy Harlequin Mass was on our uh, Hampton Players T-shirt. And uh, this was my, I think it's sophomore year um, school picture at Hampton. And so I, you know, had access to all the makeup and stuff. And (laughs) I went into the theater makeup department and I just redrew this whole makeup look on my face for my sophomore uh, photo in the yearbook. (laughs) And then my uncle, who was like head of fiscal affairs and treasury at the school, he was like mortified. (laughs) (laughs) I remember him calling my mother and saying, maybe she should come home. And my mother was like, I can't control that girl. (laughs) She's already told me she's going to be an actress. I'm a thespian mother. (laughs) (laughs) I love in this book also, just like 
the the pictures of your your history like that but also there's this picture in the back of you in a costuming warehouse and it's just i don't think anybody really understands how big and how massive the collections of things that you of pieces that you work with really are like i don't think i had it and i but you're standing there and there's literally like three rows yes. of costumes up above you mm-hmm. yeah. and mm-hmm. like as back as far it's like where they stash the ark at the end of Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. I get excited when I go to Spirit Halloween, let alone yeah, Ruthie well, Carter's warehouse of amazing costumes. Yeah, well, it's, I, I don't own that warehouse, but it is <laughs> it is uh, quite remarkable. It's uh, called Western Costume, and it's in Los Angeles, and there are several companies like that that we go to when we want to rent different periods, and it's a very organized place. They do have Halloween costumes, but they also have clothes from the 20s. They have original pieces. They have Hollywood history. They have an archive, so you can go and see Marilyn Monroe's dress or Clark something Clark Gable might have worn. They have archives because they've been around that long. And uh, it's a place that we uh, frequent as uh, costume people living and working um, in the field, not only in Los Angeles, but if we are on location, Atlanta, anywhere, we rely on them for uh, supply. Because we, 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 we cost, it, it doesn't work for something like Wakanda because you have to create that from scratch. All of that is original. But for a big period piece, you know, there's hundreds of people that have to get dressed every day and we need a stock. And that's where we go for it. But you're also talking like the things that you do create, like one of the the early pieces that you mention in the book, School Days, mm-hmm. and like your experience at HBCU and bringing that in to like develop the costuming for the various fraternities and especially like the Gammas. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you where am I? I? I think it's inspiring the amount that you're still able to create despite needing to use like other resources like yes, that. Yes, uh, films like that, you don't get to use those resources because that's a, like a collection um, that usually has more um, more importance in films that are like historic. But for a film like School Days or um, something modern, you really do have to create you know, 90% of it from scratch, whether you're shopping or um, making, having a tailor shop make things for you. You have seamstresses at work. You have people that are sourcing for you. Um, so, you know, with School Days, I, it was my first film, so I didn't know all that I know now. <laughs> So I was just doing everything myself. I had an assistant that would drive me around New York City, and I'd go like, stop, let's let's go in there. <laughs> and, you know, we bought all kinds of stuff, and we silkscreened T-shirts and sweatshirts. And, you know, it was our college experience that we were recreating. So we kind of already knew what that looked like. It was just a matter of, like, getting it all together. Mm-hmm. And then we went from a Spike's office in Brooklyn, which was a restored firehouse on DeKalb Avenue. And we went to Atlanta with everything. And that's when we started getting all the fraternities and sororities uh, together. But um, we created a lot. And, you know, that's why it has its own unique look. 
We're speaking with two-time Oscar winner, originally from Springfield, Ruth E. Carter, who tomorrow will be at Tower Square, 1 o'clock, for a free event in celebration of this incredible book, The Art of Ruth E. Carter, which talks a lot about Spike, who you referenced by first name, but maybe people missed it, Spike Lee. Yeah, not Spike Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and the story that you talk about in the book about, you know, you went to school for drama, and but fashion wasn't necessarily, designing wasn't necessarily the avenue you were going to be going in, but... Spike Lee kind of seeing your work and wanting to work with you on School Days and then again on so many other movies. Can you tell us a little bit about how that relationship with Spike Lee began? Uh, I was doing a dance a theater uh, piece and he came to see it and uh, he advised me to get some film experience at one of the local colleges, USC or UCLA, go to their senior, uh, senior film department and sign up to work on a senior thesis project. And I did, and before I knew it, on the weekends, I was on a set and hearing, you know, quiet on the set for the first time. Uh, And then shortly after that, early one morning, before the sun came up, I get a call and I hear this person on the other side going, Ruth. And I said, yes, Ruth, yes, (laughs) Ruth, yes. This is the man of your dreams. And I said, Denzel? (laughs) And he said, no, this is Spike. (laughs) And I want you to do my first film, School Days. And I immediately uh, packed up uh, my uh, stuff in my little studio apartment in Koreatown. And I flew uh, back here to Massachusetts to my brother Robert Carter's studio and I told him I had this jaw. Here's the script. And, um, you know, could he walk me through the design process? And one of the first things he told me was to get all the ideas out of your head. All those ideas you have floating around in your head, you need to write them down, find something that represents them and file them all in a so that more ideas will come. And I did that, and then I sat at his big jolly table and sketched and drew and sketched and drew until the whole picture had an image that represented a character. But it's incredible because you'd never done that before, and then now you have won two Oscars for doing yeah. just that. Right. Yeah. I was doing it in college uh, in my on my own, and then, yes, uh, working with Spike on 14 films, I got a little bit of experience. <laughs> and you got to costume Denzel. So right. there you go. Right. It was eventually the man of your dreams, too. Yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, he was. But I think it's also cool in this book, you get to see like the evolution of your drawings, too. Like we've got yeah. those early drawings from school days, but like also the ones from coming to America and from Wakanda forever. And just like, how do you feel about the trajectory of how like your drawing itself mm-hmm. has has changed. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as I became more and more immersed in the Hollywood system, I realized that I did not have to draw. <laughs> I love to draw and I love to create and it's a, a cathartic uh, experience for me, but I can't uh, illustrate as fast as a professional illustrator. So we ca- we hire professional illustrators. On Black Panther, I had five in one room all working on computers, you know, on their Wacom tab- tablets and I love that I don't have to do all that sketching anymore because I have to go to meetings. I have to, I have to make oh. all of these decisions in the course of a day. If I were sketching, I'd still be sketching. Yeah. 
That's real. <laughs> One of the things that sticks out to me about this wonderful book is, um, and working with Spike Lee, mm-hmm. when I think of the early, the late 80s, early 90s, like we're talking about the the beginnings of hip hop, the, the fashions that are in Do the Right Thing mm-hmm. become the fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, they were to a certain extent already, but did, did you get feedback at that time that you were a fashion, you're like a fashion influencer, like people are going to be wearing their Nikes like they did in Do the Right Thing? Mm-hmm. We were just thinking about representation at the time. We really were, you know, like it's the Afro future now, but then it was Neo Soul. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to, uh, you know, we wanted to show how Brooklyn was this melting pot. Brooklyn was this place where you saw culture, you know, right in front of your eyes. You could could go to the corner and get a, a roti and get a patty. You could do things that represented other cultural uh, experiences. And so bringing the fashions of that, we were making shorts out of kente cloth. You know, you see Buggin' Out, he has all mm-hmm. the kente. Mm-hmm. And then the local artists in Brooklyn were also a part of Do the Right Thing. Radio Radio Rahim's t-shirt, the bed do or die t-shirt he wears, was painted by a local artist right down the street. So that was kind of a way of immersing what we were experiencing and not seeing on camera. And it wasn't a fashion. It was more of a of a mindset. And it became, I guess, more popular in film and more there and thus more relevant and more seen and feels like we were at the beginning of something. But that mindset also permeates a lot of your work. You talk about working on uh, Wakanda Forever with like 30 plus international artists mm-hmm. bringing in like uh, folks who knew more about Mayan culture mm-hmm. to do all of the scenes with Namor and all of his cl- mm-hmm. costuming and beyond. Like it seems like the the effort to make your those scenes more global and more tactile Mm -hmm. is something that you've continued Mm -hmm. to incorporate into a lot of your work. Yeah, I became more worldly. Um, And I realized that the artists, the artisans that are all around the world have really something special to offer. So on Wakanda Forever, we worked with the Weta Workshop in New Zealand. On coming to America, I had, you know, over a dozen different African designers that were involved. And it was very important to me that they specifically had a voice in coming to America. Because on the first one, I felt like it wasn't there, even though it was a great movie, the representation wasn't there. I was just looking at the first one the other day, and I thought, you know, our version is much bolder, more colorful, more more, uh, more brighter. You know, nothing wrong with the first one or the second one. But I feel like I'm more worldly, like I'm more in touch with, you know, everyone who is an artist across, artisan across the world, and I'm able to resource them and use them. I mean, I think the social media and everything has brought us closer together, and we understand each other better because it's it's right on our phone. I can I can message with someone in Lagos, Nigeria, you know, about AI and all kinds. The new things that are happening. So they're they're like right on our doorstep now, where before, during Do the Right Thing, I think it was a little bit more local. 
I think like some we're not to toot your horn too much, but a, a lot of it has to do with like your works like yours opening doors where people can see like, no, we can really dive into this and it will still be accepted. It'll still be really important. Yeah. And like having it be seen in mm-hmm. that way mm-hmm. can be very important to just like advancing us all culturally. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but like that's your work doing that. And OK, I'm done now. Yeah, heavy. we're a big fans. It's heavy. It's heavy. I mentioned to you off the air that we've had a long-standing Oscar party, and oh, for yes. years uh, we have a ballot, and I would say Ruthie Carter, she's from Springfield. We gotta vote for her. And then yeah. every time that we were there and, and then, you won, yeah, uh, did you my, scream? My, we, I screamed. Okay, and it was like I don't even know Ruthie Carter, but I was like, you know, hometown hero here. But now. The next Oscar party we have when you're nominated, the next maybe I time. can come to it. Oh my gosh! <laughs> We'd love to have, no, you'll be at the Oscars. Oh, I will. Award. Okay, okay, yeah. maybe no, I'll zoom can. in. The one you're not nominated, you're welcome anytime. Though <laughs> Ruth E. Carter, the two-time Oscar winner, who is from Springfield, will be in her hometown tomorrow at one o'clock at event at Tower Square, mm-hmm. hosted by the Art for the Soul Gallery. It's to celebrate the launch of her book, The Art of Ruth E. Carter: Costuming Black History and Afro Future from Do the Right Thing to Black Panther. Very, very last question. Yeah. When you're in town, where do you eat when you're not cooking for yourself? Oh, I've gone to uh, the jazz uh, restaurant. Uh, Dewey's? Dewey's, yeah. yeah right. I've been there, man. Don't and that sweet Ruthie potato Carter pie there. really just like... Right? <laughs> yeah. Good food. Ruthie Carter, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's been great. Of course. Coming up, we're going to talk with U.S. Congressman Jim McGovern answering your questions. And a preview of the Cancer Connection bed-in. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Back in D.C. yet? No, on Monday. The sun is back this week. Oh, okay. We come back Monday. Fun. I have no idea how this tragedy comedy comes to an end. (laughs) Time for our weekly check-in with U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts, Worcester's own Congressman Jim McGovern, a weekly segment we like to call McGoverning with McGovern, where you can submit your questions for the congressman, and I'll ask them on your behalf. Got a couple great questions this week. First, a story from Newsweek. A group of 87 Democratic senators and representatives sent a letter to President Biden Wednesday imploring his administration to provide additional relief as federal student loan payments are set to resume October 1st. We got a call from Meg England from South Deerfield. Hi there. I am calling with a question for Jim McGovern. I uh, appreciated learning about this uh, new student assistance program through his email uh, newsletter. And my question is, is there any support for parents with Parent PLUS loans? I did not see anything on the studentaid.gov site that was relevant to our family. And we have a bunch of student uh, loans under Parent PLUS loans. And I know you're interviewing him today. So I that's my question for Jim. Thanks very much. Yeah, no, I, I haven't I haven't seen the details of it. I've, I just read the, the article in the paper. I haven't seen the details of his, uh, of his proposal, so I can't answer that specifically. But there obviously should be. We have to 
figure out what we can actually get done in Congress. And hopefully, uh, you know, we'll be able to provide something meaningful in terms of relief. Uh, college is important. It's also expensive. And families are struggling um, as we, we're still dealing with inflation and, you know, high cost of food and fuel. And even though things are coming down and we're doing better than everyone else in the world, people are still struggling. So I will um, hopefully when we talk next week, I'll have more details on what's in his specific plan. And for those who don't know, the Parent PLUS loans are these fixed interest rate federal loans that parents of dependent undergrad students can take out to help their kids cover the cost of college. There's been some movement in regards to the idea that these loan payments are going to begin again, that uh, this same Newsweek story talks about how there may be people who just decide not to pay on their loans, which would be a first these student loans are notorious for following you uh, as far as you go. The Newsweek recommendation is not to bury your head in the sand and you know to find right. relief where you can, but you'll find out if there's more relief available, I guess, from the Biden's plan here, which doesn't go as far as it had hoped to go because Supreme Court. Right. And Congress needs to do something on this. The problem is the makeup of the House right now is not particularly conducive to people who are working families in this country. We got another uh, email question from Dan Finn. The first part of it is a, a very, in some ways, hard to follow suggestion about how many people the White House should hire to liaison between the legislature. Could be a good idea. We're not going to get into the weeds of that particular plan, but it does have to do with debt. He's suggesting a White House summit before the 2024 elections on investing and getting out of debt for youth, lower and middle class Americans. He suggested talking to some of the big financial planners of the U.S. to to get them involved in this thing. Now, debt is a huge problem in this country. We just talked about it with student debt in particular. Other types of debt are hugely problematic. And I know how long it took you to convene a White House conference on hunger. What is the notion of teaching Americans about how to better deal with debt and how to better invest? Well, look, I, I think the concept is a, is a good idea. I mean, there are things that people can do that can alleviate the debt that they're they're dealing with. And sometimes people are not fully fluent uh, in terms of the issues of financial literacy, but that's a big, big, big issue. Some people are in situations that are much more complicated. But uh, look, I'm a minute big advocate that in our school system, we ought to be teaching financial literacy to help people manage uh, their financial affairs you know, throughout their life. But I don't know what whether you necessarily need a, a White House conference. I mean, I think that they could make more information available and give people more tips or give people places to call uh, so they can talk about their individual situations. The, the issue of debt is that one glove doesn't fit all. But the idea of, of, of providing more access to information for people, I think, is a good idea. We got another question from Claire Novotny saying, hello, Fabulous 413. I love listening. Oh, well, thank you, Claire. Uh, thanks for all the reporting that you do. I have a simple question for Jim McGovern. I remember last year there was a lot of talk about doing away with daylight savings. It seems like we're still on track to turn our clocks back. So what's going on? I have two young children, and I'm sure I don't need to explain how inconvenient changing the clocks two times a year is. I know Senator Markey was a big advocate for keeping daylight savings permanent. Where does that stand right now? There's nothing happening on that. I mean, that's where things stand right now. I mean, I I don't see any. I mean, again, we're not in charge of bringing things to the House floor. uh, The Republicans are, but there's no bill that has moved its way through committee in the House. And I don't know, maybe Senator Markey has some better ideas on uh, what's happening in the Senate and whether or not something could be attached to a an omnibus bill to address that. But I don't think we're going to 
resolve that before it comes time to adjust your clocks. Which is not too far from now. So yeah, we're stuck with the darkness again in too short a time, I'm afraid, it seems. There was an article in the Daily Hampshire Gazette this week, the headline, McGovern bill takes aim at pesticides would suspend dozens banned in other countries pending an EPA review. The article by Alexander McDougall saying that this bill in Congress would ban these toxic pesticides. It's called the uh, Protect America's Children from Toxic Pesticides Act. Does that spell anything? Pact? Uh, I don't think so. Tell us a little bit about this uh, bill and which pesticides in particular might be banned. Well, there's a a list that we will make available for people on our webpage. There's a lot of different pesticides that are being used. Not not so many by our local farmers, but some by the the bigger farms that are not approved in places like Canada or, or in or in the European Union. And this is simply a plea to let's err on the side of safety. I don't really think this should be controversial, but clearly people who make money off of this stuff do. Um, and so it's a little bit of an uphill battle. But we want to have a discussion in Congress as to, you know, how we make sure that, you know, the stuff that we put on our plants, to the extent that people use pesticides, is actually not going to do any harm to people. It's that simple. According to the article, it says the U.S. uses over a billion pounds of pesticides annually, about a fifth of worldwide use. A third of that amount is pesticides that are currently banned in the European Union. So it is illogical that a large swath of the world would see some major problem with this, but that they're allowed here in this country. It seems like, again, corporate interests are outweighing the human interests. I know glyphosate, which is used in Roundup, is uh, on that list and has been banned in the EU as well. And it seems like there's an interesting amount of support around this. United Farm Workers of America, the Society of the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Is there a potential bipartisan support in this? We're going to find out. I mean, we're going to find out uh, in the next next few weeks. Uh, But uh, look, one of the problems is your follow the money. And too much about uh, what influences congressional action is directly related to money. You know, that's always the concern here. And, uh, but I think if, if there's a, you know, a good discussion, a strong public awareness campaign, I really believe that people power when utilized to its fullest potential can even beat out big money, but it's, we, we need to build this movement. Schools in session, pretty much all over the place at this point. And uh, you and I, who both care deeply about hunger issues, excited for Massachusetts now that free school meals are available in our public schools here. But in our higher education tomorrow, you're going to be opening up the academic year for the UMass Amherst School of Public Policy alongside State Senator Joe Comerford and State Rep Mindy Dom. Tell us what you'll be talking to the School of Public Policy about tomorrow. It's, it is an event that's well, open I, to the public. Right. I, I You know, I, I'm just thinking about this morning when I woke up and I thought I, I was write doing something. tomorrow. And I, I've got to put something together. You know, look, I mean, I, I think my message to people at this moment is that people have to be engaged. I mean, in ways like we've never been engaged before. I mean, there is, there's so much at stake. Our literal democracy is at stake. I, it was an article in the New York Times today about this judge who was a Supreme Court judge who was elected in, uh, in Wisconsin overwhelmingly by a landslide. They're trying to uh, impeach the judge. I don't think the judge has heard a case yet, but because it's a liberal judge and the Republicans in the Wisconsin legislature are afraid that it might interfere with some of their plans to rig elections. I mean, we're at a point now where we have a major political party that doesn't believe that elections should matter, that uh, if people vote in a way that they don't like, then we should nullify the elections. This is a very, very dangerous moment. When we look back on history, 
this is going to be a defining moment. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for engagement, engagement, engagement. People need to be active uh, in ways like they've never been before. And the other message is that you have to address everything. I, I, I used to think that when people said outrageous things or crazy things, that just ignore it. Don't dignify it with the response. You know what? I now believe the opposite. You have to respond to everything because some of this, you know, garbage sticks. And we're seeing that all the time. I was in a Dunkin' Donuts the other day. A guy was saying, asked me, why is it that Joe Biden can indict Donald Trump and all of his associates? I said, Joe Biden can't. He said, well, he has. I said, no, he hasn't. A grand jury did. Four grand juries indicted Trump. I mean, the misinformation is really running rampant, and we have to we have to confront it. One way you can learn more about this is tomorrow at noon is when the speakers will start the School of Public Policy, the old chapel on UMass Amherst campus, alongside I, State Senator Joe Comerford and I, State Rep Mindy Dom. Uh, that was a good I hope work. I'm good. Yeah, I mean, you, it seems like you were workshopping your speech right then, and I think that was, you're, go, you're going <laughs> well, in a good I, direction. But I, I think, mean, but 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 go hear Joe Comerford and Mindy Dom because they will be good. Try to work some jokes in. That'd be my I'll only try. advice to you. Other than that, uh, it should I'm sure it's going to be great. U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts, the ranking member of the Rules Committee, joins us every week. If you have questions for the congressman, like Meg did, like Dan did, like Claire did, you can email them, thefab413 at nepm.org, or text us at 1-800-639-9120. Thanks as always, Congressman. All the best. Be safe. Coming up, why one woman is raising money from a bed set up in a bank lobby in Hadley and why it is partially Monty's fault. Or possibly entirely Monty's fault. A preview of the bed-in for the Cancer Connection. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Tomorrow is a bed-in in a bank. This sounds like... A heist. The dumbest idea I've ever heard of in my Five entire friends. life. Who on earth would you come up with such One a plan. crazy, silly Gone wrong. way to do something ostensibly Monty for the Monty. good? I have no idea. But tomorrow is the Cancer Connection bed-in at Greenfield Savings Bank on Route 9 in Hadley. And joining us is the executive director of the Cancer Connection, Chelsea Klein. And the person who will be in bed in a bank for 12 hours as a ridiculous publicity stunt to raise money for the aforementioned Cancer Connection is Greenfield Savings Bank's Tara Brewster. And I'll just say all around kind of do-gooder, bon vivant. On After the Friday, on Saturday, you'll be doing uh, the pony chase dancing for Trans Health, which we had Dallas Pony, Ducar pony on. Sweat. I don't, pony I don't sweat. know. I don't know sweat. if Dallas pony told you, but I'm responsible for that. I was like, you know, you guys, a really good fundraiser for you would be dot, dot, dot. And uh, dumb fundraising is something that uh, I'm a big fan of, to be honest with you. And so... Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a pupil of yours, but I definitely <laughs> took some notes. So this one is definitely your fault, though. For, for those sure. who don't yes. know what we're talking about, we'll get into that a little bit later about the, the genesis of this event. But for those who don't know about the Cancer Connection, Chelsea Klein, who is the executive director, tell us what the Cancer Connection is and the mission of the Cancer Connection. Thank you, Monty and Khalees, for having us here today. We are so grateful. So Cancer Connection is a nonprofit that was started over 20 years ago by Deb Orgera and Jackie Walker. And they they had a vision about creating a place that was a warm haven for those who with a cancer diagnosis, but also their caregivers and their loved ones. We are located right across from Cooley Dickinson Hospital, and we offer free services for those who are experiencing cancer. So we offer support groups, integrative therapies, and also one-on-one -on -one emotional support. It's amazing how many times you hear a doctor has given somebody a cancer diagnosis at Cooley Dickinson Hospital, and essentially the first prescription is 
go across the street and talk to the people at the Cancer Connection because what you are doing is non-medical. It's human. It's dealing with the whole person because a cancer diagnosis can be treated with medicine and chemotherapy and surgery and all. I would say not prescriptively medical because like the supportive community and supportive people around you can be medicine as well. Right. It's medicine in the more, I don't want to say spiritual, because I think there is a holistic way of looking at the whole person. And what Cancer Connection has taught me over the years is about not dying from cancer, but about living while having cancer and just living in general. So many of the stories I hear from so many of the people who work with the Cancer Connection have inspired me to take what precious little time we have on this planet, no matter what our diagnosis is, and make the most of it. So, Chelsea, what are some of the programs that Cancer Connection has to offer for people who have just had that diagnosis or have been living with a diagnosis or have been cured? We offer a whole range of things, just like you said, to support living with cancer, and when no matter your diagnosis or if you're a caregiver or a loved one who is involved in the family unit who is experiencing cancer. We have support groups. We have writing groups. Um, We have befriending, which is our one-on-one emotional support. So someone can call in and talk one-on-one and have a confidential conversation with someone who has been trained to hold that space and be really present for someone who is experiencing cancer or who is a caregiver. And we also have special one-off kind of programs. Like we've had a cooking class, a plant-based cooking class with Paul Sustic from Paul and Elizabeth or container gardening. So we do all kinds of fun things, but also we're really present for people as they're going through cancer. One of the most um, popular things that we offer is free integrative therapy. So massage, Reiki, energy balancing, reflexology, and even calming strategies. And all of these services are all free of charge. And as Khalees alluded to, it's maybe not considered medicine in the traditional Western sense. But if you talk to an oncologist, I've talked to many at Cooley Dickinson that say, no, this massage is essential. The relaxation of the mind and the body and, and what Cancer Connection has to offer while going through this treatment is remarkable. And then not only for the person going through cancer, but anybody who's a caretaker or in their inner circle, and it's all offered for free, it is not supported by the giant cancer charities nationwide, right? That's absolutely right. We we actually rely very heavily on our community here in Western Mass, and we have received tremendous support, thanks in huge part to you, Monty. We'll get to that later. (laughs) I love that you keep pushing that off. No, rip this Band-Aid off Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Fine. I'll do it. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> what made you start the camp out for Cancer Connection all those years ago? Terrible wow, show for you. The straight up summary. I'm like, I well, this away. might be a good segue. No, you. I mean, I want to hear it from you. I don't know if I've ever heard this. Like, the reason why we're here is because of you. It was probably, I'm going to guess, 2003. And I was working at WRSI Radio as a glorified intern. And the morning show host there was a person by the name of Rachel Maddow, who I don't know what she does now, but she went on to relative obscurity. And her show is called The Big Breakfast. And different nonprofits were given a free breakfast as voted on by the listeners. And one of them went to the Cancer Connection, which another one of the DJs at the radio station had used the services of. And Rachel couldn't deliver the breakfast. So I was tasked to do it. That's where I met Deb. That's where I met Jackie. That's where I heard about this vision that is unique. There aren't organizations that do this anywhere else that I know of that do it in this way. Integrative therapy, befriending for free for the patient for their circle of community. And it was inspirational. So they came to me at one point and said, would you think about doing a fundraiser for us because we're grassroots supported? And 
I had been inspired by a DJ named Buddy Rubbish, who one time took a raft out into Puffer's Pond in Amherst (laughs) because the beaches were going to be closed because they couldn't afford to clean the beaches. And he said, I'm not going to leave this raft until we raise enough money to clean the beaches of Puffer's Pond. And they did it as this big radio stunt and it worked and they cleaned the beaches and the beaches opened. So I took that idea and said, what kind of island can I put myself on for the cancer connection? I thought, I hate camping and I hate the cold. So why don't I cold weather camp? And I did it in the middle of downtown Northampton. And the first year we raised like $10,000. And by year 13. T- 10, 13, it had gone up exponentially there. Then there was a pandemic. So I did it from my bed. I broadcast live from my bed, a la John and Yoko and their bed in for peace. In fact, I believe you had standees of them behind the bed. I had the posters like that they had. I had all sorts of stuff. So it was like some of it was streamed live on social media. Yeah. Khalees was back at the station pushing the pushing buttons, buttons for me the whole time that I was in my bed. We did a bed in from the Hotel Northampton the year after. And then I quit the river. <laughs> quit the Cancer Connection <laughs> fundraising altogether, which is where Tara Brewster comes into the picture. So what are you doing? for the Cancer Connection tomorrow, Tara Brewster. Well, I'm really happy that you passed the torch to me because um, I feel really honored to be following in your bed linens um, at, I, at I, the branch. I promise I, I washed um, them. Yep. <laughs> Thank oh. you for that. No, actually, Andy's um, Andy's Oak Shop uh, is going to be donating the bed, and it's quite comfy, so I might be there longer than 7 p.m. But at 140 Russell Street in Hadley tomorrow at the Greenfield Savings Bank branch, I will be in bed starting at 7 a.m. and lasting until 7 p.m. for Cancer Connection. Again, ridiculous publicity stunts garner attention, good photo ops. People start to pay attention to the mission overall. How do people then contribute if they want to learn more about contributing? That's what we have to say in public radio language. I can't yep. tell you to go donate. I can only say if you want to learn more. More. Then um, you can perhaps go contribute here. If you want to, but no pressure. <laughs> uh, how do people participate in this Bed In for Cancer Connection? We would love for people to come and stop by and see Tara tomorrow at Greenfield Savings Bank in Hadley on Route 9. There will be signs. We'll have all sorts of fun things and we'll have food from Paul and Elizabeth. So if they want to come and stop by the branch in Hadley and see Tara and they can donate there, they are also welcome to go to our website and donate there, which is cancer-connection.org. Oddly enough, we may also have a mascot bumblebee and a gargoyle. Oh, that's right. I know the bumblebee must be Greenfield Savings Bank, which I heard put up a very generous challenge match. Yeah, $15,000. You know, as we all know, in the fundraising philanthropic world, when you make a donation and there's a match, you feel like you've donated more. Where's the gargoyle from? Uh, Northampton Neighbors. Oh, because of the uh, parade that's yes, coming doozy up. the Doozy Do, which is coming up, I think, on September the 23rd. Guess who's involved in that? You. Yep. What are you dressing as this time? <laughs> I don't even know yet. Costume changes are essential when doing ridiculous I, publicity I understand. stunts. So, so I actually spent a bunch of time yesterday with Barbara Ween from Visage, who does a lot of the wigs for um, people experiencing cancer or hair, early hair loss. And so there's going to be a lot of wigs happening tomorrow. Are other people going to be in beds or just you, Tara? Just me, but the bed is big enough for more than one of us. That's not where I saw that question going. <laughs> Notice how conspicuously quiet I'm being about this. <laughs> I, I'm kind of surprised that Greenfield Savings Bank said yes to this. I'm going to turn the tables on you, Tara Brewster. I told you why I got involved in doing these dumb publicity stunts for good causes. This is not turning the tables. This is your job. Why are you doing this? It's called payback, please. <laughs> why are you doing this tomorrow for 12 hours in a bank in a bed? 
I just have a lot of gratitude for the opportunity that my life has presented, um, being in this community, being involved with so many small businesses and nonprofits. You know, I think I've called myself a recovering entrepreneur. I used to own Jackson and Connor in downtown. So I've really seen by example what the impact of handholding and befriending and putting your arms around people um, can do and the ripple effect that it can make. So I think energetically and karmically, the things that we do, the lives that we lead have this long lasting effect. And I have learned by watching you and others in the community sort of lead by example and lead with your heart and show us what you can do when you do these stunts or ask people for money. I mean, it's it's a pretty amazing thing. Our goal tomorrow is $50,000. I definitely think it's going to come in because we're on the shoulders of giants here. Who? <laughs> Even though I'm taller than you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Tara Brewster from Greenfield Savings Bank, who will be in a bed on Route 9 in Hadley at the Hadley offices of Greenfield Savings Bank for 12 hours tomorrow, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. to try to raise money. Are your costume changes going to happen under the covers? Like, <laughs> like you're just there and then you pop under that the covers would be really and you fun. pop up and you're somebody else. All your costumes should also <laughs> be under the, the covers so that exactly. you have to go find them and then you come out as a whole new person. But it's like a there's, no, there's no room for anybody else to get in then. They'll like mess up my thing. No, I'm actually starting to lay them all out on the bed and going to put them in bags and name them. And oh, yeah, it's going to be legit. Tara Brewster will be doing it all day tomorrow at Greenfield Savings Bank (laughs) for the Cancer Connection, which is helmed by Chelsea Klein. Thank you so much for coming in and telling us about your mission, and good luck tomorrow in bed. Thank you (laughs) so much. Thank you so much. You have to say in bed at the end of every fortune cookie. I just need a big bag of fortune cookies. I'll have to stop at that market on the way to bed in. I did that during my bed in. There you go. I'm going to do it. I mean, I do prefer saying for the revolution after... After fortune cookies, but that's just me and my my old punk rock spirit. Yeah, I like in bed. <laughs> you would. <laughs> enough comments about that. <laughs> yeah, enough comments about that. I hope to stop by tomorrow for the bed in. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe we'll do other things. Friday on the fabulous four one three, we'll chat with Jonah Keen from the Arcadia Wildlife Sanctuary and Wallace Field, who will be performing at the Arcadia. Folk Festival in East Hampton this weekend, but we'll be our guest for Live Music Friday. Plus, a taste of an award-winning local literature mag with the folks from Meat for Tea, that's M-E-A-T for Tea <laughs> magazine, and a wine thunderdome with non-Pinot Grigio Italian whites with our friends at State Street. They are delicious. They sure are. Musical thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Public Enemy, Kendrick Lamar, and SZA, Ludwig Gordonson, and Baba Mal, the Jay Giles Band, Los Straight Jackets, and John and Yoko, who you hear now. Who the inspiration for the bed in. <laughs> our director is Tony Literature Courier Dunn. Our engineer is Betsy Stale Popcorn Free Baby Lankdo. Our engineers are also Bart printer nemesis Rankin, Phil getting better at Buttons Bishop, Kara has real music now Foster, and punk rude boy Dubay, who thinks the phrase sharp cheddar is a great thing to shout out loud in the lyrics to a punk rock song. And we agree. We sure do. I'm Cleese Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.